welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Today I'm talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The... uh... The theme we're in is the upper room. Up and out is our year-long theme, looking up to God to reach out to our world. But uh, there's this theme within a theme called the upper room. The upper room is this moment where the Holy Spirit falls on humanity. The Holy Spirit was already here. But in this moment, he falls on this group of people. And what the Holy Spirit does in a human life is phenomenal. There, There is nothing else like it. This is why there's nothing like the local church. It's not like a subscription. When you come to church, you don't just add a subscription to your YouTube channel. Yep, that sounds like something pretty good. I'll follow that as well. I also follow these five other different things. When you follow follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit does something incredibly unique in your heart. And this this, this, uh, theory, not theory, this um, word Jesus speaks about in Matthew 19, he's just talking to his disciples and the Pharisees all in one moment. And he drops this bombshell, which I imagine would have made everyone in the world be like, excuse me, what? It's back in the days, imagine back in the days where everyone thought it was flat earth and then someone in conversations, you know how the earth is round, they're like, hang on, what? Like a big, a game-changing concept just dropped in a normal conversation. He drops this line, says, in the renewal of all things, that's, that's what he, the line is, and we might understand that, but he, uh, he works on this word called the palingenesia, which is, I'll get to it in a moment, but all throughout history, humanity loves to follow guides. In our 21st century, it's the cultural commentators, the Jordan Petersons, the the people who, maybe the media, the people who can make sense of the world that we live in. For us who have a faith background, it's hopefully your pastors who can come around the Word of God and lead us. What is happening in the world right now? What's happening in our lives? We've always looked to people to show us how to get through life and how to make sense of the world that we're facing, the situations that we're in. Back in the day, in Jesus' time, it was these philosophers and they would put forward these theories and there would be like a a big group think tank where everyone would chuck a new theory out there and whichever one was widely accepted, that's the way that the people would go down. And so they had this theory around a palingenesia, this is the the Greek word for it, which means a, a renewal. Their theory was that over the lifespan of the earth, everything had been remade a few different times. And uh, they get that because everything in the world breaks down. Sand was once rocks. How many of the ancient wonders are now in ruins? Things break down. And uh, I turned 30 and, you know, my knee started getting sore. My poor body just, you know, everything just, everything breaks down in the world. (laughs) And um, every time I I said that example at Carondale and afterwards, people in the service who uh, had some years on me came up there and you're like, you don't understand. You know nothing yet. (laughs) But, uh... Things break down, and, and so their, uh, their theory was that once every th- couple thousand years, everything gets renewed and remade, and it was a palingenesia, and then the life cycle of the earth would continue. And Jesus in this moment says, in the palingenesia, not a palingenesia, not a life cycle, but there is a palingenesia, a renewal coming, that at the end of time, all things, everything gets made anew, completely and renewed. That God is so faithful to the planet, he doesn't just come for the people, he comes to renew the whole planet. That heaven is not just a place where you go to when you die, but in the end times, in Revelation, it says God brings it down and remakes this whole planet, that anybody with a broken body in the end times is renewed completely, that if you've never hiked Everest, 
One day you can. <laughs> this is what the palingenesis is, that everything gets remade and the earth gets remade and there's no sin, no shame, no sadness. It's this paradise existence. It happens right here on planet earth. The new Jerusalem comes down. God remakes everything. That's what he's saying. There is this palingenesis. But he also says at that moment in time that the kingdom of God is here now. That although there is this physical renewal coming at the end of time, a spiritual renewal is happening right now in every heart that wants to. That every heart that chooses to follow Jesus, that you are renewed. A renewal, a regeneration that our spiritual heritage is not good. <laughs> we're not born, we're like, because of what Adam did, our spiritual heritage is sin. We're born into that state like a branch that's cut off from a tree there's no life, no sustenance coming into who we are. And when you decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates your spirit. In essence, attaching the branch back to the tree of life, the source of life. That's what the palingenesis, a spiritual palingenesis is. When you choose to follow Jesus for yourself, the Holy Spirit comes in and he regenerates your spirit. He makes it able that you can know God's spirit on a spirit to spirit level. But that's just the start. When I talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's just kind of like the base level. That's what happens. But an incorrect doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I find, is like having a Ferrari, but only ever driving it in the city where you can go 40 kilometers an hour. That it looks the part, and you've got the power, but you just never use it, and you just posture it. You need to have a right doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit truly here for? In a world of intellectualism and understanding, Sometimes we close ourselves off to these more spiritual, more ethereal, more untouchable avenues of our faith. But as we can see in the world right now and the Asbury outpouring and things, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit will move in any place where he has a room full of good thieves instead of bad. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6 says this, and this is, uh, if you haven't read the Bible, here's the gospel in a nutshell. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the Twelve. And then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Jesus' life is phenomenal. He dies, but because sin couldn't stick to him and shame couldn't stick to him, he's resurrected again by the power of God. And then... He appears to 500 of his disciples. In Acts 1, the another account of it, verses 3 to 9, he goes to this. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about this. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the period that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That would be... Kabucha, Brisbane, sunny coast, all the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. The cloud took him out of their sight. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, about a day's journey. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, all the disciples were there. They all were continually united in prayer. Not just chilling on the couch. They were united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the brothers and sisters, the number of people who were together was about 120. So, so Jesus' life, and in this scripture, it points out a whole bunch of different things, but Jesus' life was a complicated life. It wasn't all, hey, follow me, feel my love while you're in my presence. He also said crazy things like, eat my body, drink my blood, and drove away like 5,000 people in one day. So following Jesus wasn't an easy task to do. But in this time, After he was resurrected, he appeared to 500, it said, of his brothers and sisters. And they didn't just have him for a day. They didn't just get to like, all right, show me the holes in your hand. Better move on now. Jesus got to go to heaven. 40 days. Can you imagine being with the resurrected son of God for 40 days, over a month? And and these were the core. These were the ones that stuck around. The Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, the sheep scattered. So the only ones that were still there, these are core these are foundational. They're all in. They're radicals. They're not fringies. They're not, I just come at Christmas, I just come at Easter kind of Christians. They're, they're all in. They follow Jesus and then in this moment they have 40 days with him and he says to them, hey, go to Jerusalem, one day's journey, it's not too far, and wait because the Holy Spirit is going to descend and it's better that I go, it's better the Holy Spirit comes and so wait for him there. And so he tells that to 500 people. They have all the proof they need that it's true and real. And then we see on the day of Pentecost, only 10 days later, it'd be like next Wednesday week, there's 120 in the upper room. Now, you don't need to be a maths genius to see there's a disparity going on. 500 people get told, go and wait, 120 are in the room. 24%, less than one in four people. 24% of people made it to the upper room. Why? Why the disparity? Why couldn't they all be there? And the first option is, well, maybe it was a really small room. <laughs> but, and so that was my first thought as well. I looked it up. And when you see that in a moment, we see that over 3,000 people were there hearing them speaking in tongues in that place. And you look at the architecture, it's more like a floor with all these open spaces. That room wasn't really the barrier to entry to the upper room experience. And so I often wonder why did 380 people miss out on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that moment? I see examples of this, top excuses (laughs) that I find for people not following Jesus or not waiting for the Holy Spirit to drop in their lives. One disciple says this in Luke 9. He says, hey, Jesus says, hey, follow me. He says, let me go bury my father. Very reasonable thing to request. Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. So harsh. I find Jesus so savage sometimes. But... And whether this disciple, he might have wanted to honour his duties as the older brother or maybe he was waiting for his inheritance or maybe the dad wasn't even dead yet but he knew, you know, in the next six months, year, it's, it's heading that way. Whatever it was, we're not giving the reason but either way, Jesus sees his heart and he sees a man who's putting his own desires against the desires of God. And this fires Jesus up so often in the Bible, right? Nothing really gets Jesus so mad as people putting earthly cares above heavenly cares, putting temporary cares above eternal cares. 
We have this passage of scripture where Peter, for the first time ever, the first human says, you are the son of God, Jesus. Jesus is so proud. Peter, flesh and blood couldn't have shown you that, but my father has spoke this to you and it is true. And a minute later, I mean, just like literally five minutes later, Jesus says, I've got to go to the cross so that I can accomplish all my father's will. And Peter says, no, Jesus, it shall not happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. God's talking to Peter and now Jesus is also calling him Satan. He says, why is he calling him Satan this moment? He says, because you put the cares of the world above the cares of God. Don't be one of those Christians who just does whatever they want and puts Christianese language around it. Because Peter in this moment says, Jesus, because of my love for you, because I love you so much, this pain shouldn't happen to you. And sometimes we can wrap things up. We are good at rationalising everything, telling ourselves rational lies about everything. And in our world, we can make everything seem like it is a good God thing to do. Here's Peter saying, Jesus, because of my love for you, it's out of a place of love. You should not go to the cross. And Jesus says, I see that you love me, but you're acting like Satan (laughs) because you won't let me accomplish my father's will. And one of the, I think the main reasons that people didn't wait in the upper room is because they got distracted by the cares of the world instead of being preoccupied with the things of God. And so these questions, and, and in our world, we constantly rationalise things. We can, like I know, and we have a, a young daughter, she's three. We know a lot of sports on Sunday growing up. And, and as a father, I could be, I want the best for my kid. I am a steward of the daughter that God has given me. I want to give her every opportunity. So, and if, her, if she's excelling at sport, I need to make that opportunity and, and we'll watch, you know, church online later. She's still getting a church, right? We can, we can rationalise these things. But in doing so, we've prioritised the cares of the world above the cares of God. All these little things, it doesn't need to be as dramatic as Peter's. Or we can think, I don't, I don't want to let people at work know that I'm a Christian, you know. It'd, be, it'd get a bit weird, it'd dilute the relationship and then one day I won't be out of the conversation where I... Tell them about Jesus. You know, we, we rationalise all these things in our life by putting the cares above the world, cares of the world above the cares of the kingdom of God. And so I think the first reason people might not have made it to the upper room is the cares and priorities of the world distracting them from what God wanted them to do. On the second one, some people might have made it to the upper room. They had every intention to stay in the upper room, but for whatever reason, they had to leave. There's a parable around the 10 virgins where there's uh, 10 women. And in that moment, it says that the bridegroom was coming and five were prepared, but five had to leave to go get oil for their lamps. And they came back and they got locked out. And I think that might have just happened with a whole bunch of people in the upper room. That they got there and they waited. But there needs to be, when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, there needs to be this waiting in our life, this lingering in the presence of God, this unhurried pursuit, an inefficient pursuit. Right now as a generation, as a world, we have been taught not to wait. You are a disciple of hurry. (laughs) Like even in the mornings when I make my daughter breakfast, you know, three minutes on the microwave and that's still too long for her. (laughs) We have been discipled to not wait. And and I love the efficiency of the world. I love that I can go to a website on my phone and if it's it's loaded in five seconds. If it's 10 seconds, it must have poor reception or, or something, you know. We live in a fast world, but what it has done, it has become a spiritual block to receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives because to receive the Holy Spirit in fullness and receive him again, it takes this 
unhurry to our life, this lingering in the presence of God for longer than the business of life allows. There has to be this ability. Some, so we can say one prayer, God, I'm believing for my healing. Thank you, Jesus. Got to go to work. But we said a prayer, but there's this essence of our relationship with God where following Jesus doesn't have a timeline attached to it. And the way that our lives are planned, it doesn't fall naturally into it. Only 120 could wait on the Holy Spirit. There needs to be a waiting, this unrushed pursuit, this inefficient stillness. Because it wasn't a rest on the couch. It's not like you can just chill on the couch and watch, binge watch Netflix and you're going to naturally break out into this you know, spiritual prayer. That's not how it works. And while God doesn't tell us to go to an upper room right now, he does put principles in place that allow us to rest and find him on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. He calls it the Sabbath rest, a godly rest. The Bible instructs us in the New and Old Testament to have this Sabbath rest, however you interpret it. Maybe it's a whole day in your week or maybe it's moments in the day, depending on how you outwork it. There's this rest where you're at the mercy of the will of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it says like this, Leviticus 23, verse 3, work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You're not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. And I I found that in our generation, 21st, most people do not get an adequate rest or being refilled, refreshed, renewed by the Holy Spirit. We don't get it. And they read this scripture and they say, yeah, well, they had to cut back their hours from work and responsibility. And so I, I, I definitely need to cut back my hours. That's the problem here. Well, actually, they were doing seven days. They were doing full time. And literally, most of them were farmers. So it was like six till whatever, sun time, the whole time. They had, they had no other time where they could allocate it to God. I, I don't think that's the reason we don't get quality rest, rest that fills us with the presence of God. I, why I think we don't get quality rest, I don't think it's because we're too busy. I don't think it's because we have a lack of downtime, like creating more downtime for yourself, more me time. I don't think we have a time management problem. I think we have a rest management problem as Christians. Like everything, how you, it, it, uh, I always say that um, it's a squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Whatever's loud, whatever's urgent, it feels like always gets treated. The loudest dog, you know, gets fed, those kinds of things. And, and in our life, all the time, a lot of the time, we feel wrecked. So the physical rest is what's going to get our allocated time. But Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to, 20, to 29 says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble of heart, Humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. It's not a stay where you are, do what you're doing and I'll just pour some rest on your head. It's come to me, all of you who are weary. There has to be this active, see in the, in the same as the upper room, there's this active lingering. It's a pursuit, but it's a waiting. There's a come to you, but I'll give you rest. A rest in it. It's almost like this cyclical nature where we come to God and we're rested at the same time. It's counterintuitive. You need to have allocated time when you come to God. It needs to be a cut-out block of time. And for some people, if you naturally gravitate to prayer or worship, then that's awesome for you. (laughs) Most people don't. It's not the path of least resistance for us. 
It's not like the water starts at the top of the mountain and naturally flows down. This is almost like an uphill thing. If it was easy, everyone would find themselves in the presence of God, but it doesn't just happen. And the way I, I think about this, imagine if we, you don't have your phone. Your phone's dead and you have an important meeting with someone. Let's say it's a business meeting. And this business meeting is going to determine if your company goes under or, goes, or continues to stay afloat and is prosperous. Depends on this meeting. And you're meeting someone in this place, but you said you'd, you'd text them when you were there and your phone's dead. And so you're in this place and they could be here, but if they walk by, this opportunity is gone. And so you're right there in this moment and you're there and you're waiting, but you're looking for across every person. Where is he? Where is that person? Where is that opportunity? So there's a waiting, but there's also a seeking in it. That's what it's like to wait on God. It's not just this blissful, ah, I feel like I'm in this, whatever those water float tanks are these days, meditation tanks. That's, that's not how it is with God. There is this waiting, lingering, but it's also this looking, where is he? What does the Holy Spirit want to do? What does he want to do in my life? Can he fill me in this area? That's what it means to wait for the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and this is Acts 2, we're just going literally through Acts 1, 2, and a little bit of 4. But they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There is no mistake that when a Holy Spirit enters a situation or enters a life, because he comes in power. Jesus said, it's better that I go, better that he comes. And they started to speak in tongues. Do you know who never spoke in tongues in the Bible? Jesus. But he said, greater things will you do than me. And the moment the Holy Spirit drops on the planet, these greater things start to happen through people. The Holy Spirit descended to the earth in power. And however he was then, he is now. For as God, he forever remains the same. Whatever he did then, he is able to do now. For his power is not at all diminished. And it would grieve the Holy Spirit if we in the 21st century supposed that his might and power was less today than it was in the beginning. To feel, be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with that same power, to do these miraculous, amazing things that you cannot do in your own strength. You have gifts and you have talents and to work just in that gift set is comfortable. But when the Holy Spirit empowers our lives, we can do far more than that, far greater things. When we put our abilities mixed with the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, the miracles take place in our lives. It is the grace to do that which is impossible to do in our own strength and ability. And I love this, to do it with boldness. See, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and he gets up and he gives this preach. In verse 22, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know, as in you saw it, you saw Jesus do these things. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. This is bold. I'll show you why it's bold. And, and I think as the church and as Christians, sometimes we've lost our boldness in the name of tolerance. We've reduced our boldness in the name of loving our neighbour. And here Peter is talking to many of the same people 
who literally nailed Jesus to the cross 50 days ago. These are the people who nailed him to the cross and got away with it without consequence because it was blasphemy according to the Pharisees. And so by him saying these things, they could do it again. This is why it's so bold. The same people that nailed Jesus to the cross were right there and Peter gets up and calls them evil and he calls them lawless. What kind of boldness fills him with that? The same guy who just denied Jesus 50 days ago is now standing up not just to a random person but to the same people who crucified Jesus and could do it to him and he's calling them lawless and he's calling them evil. See, we should be the boldest people on the planet, not because we need to muster up some fake bravado in who we are, but because of who we know, because of this spirit of power that fills us. And we need to be filled with the spirit of God to be spiritually influential and impactful for us because we cannot be, we cannot be bold for God without being full of God. And these are the people I know that are full of God because they are bold for God, not bold for themselves. But when they heard this, I love this as well. When they heard this in verse 37, these people were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Like, well, what have we done? So those who accepted his message were baptised and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs are being performed through these apostles. The same people who just crucified Jesus are now following Jesus. And look at the power of the Holy Spirit in this. Because they said, Jesus who you knew. You already saw him do it. You saw Jesus heal people. You saw him feed the 5,000. You saw him do all these things and you still didn't believe yet one message filled with the Holy Spirit and they're cut to the heart and they repent. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit not only regenerates our spirit, he draws you to that renewal, not just once on salvation, but continually for repentance. This is how I know if someone's filled with the Spirit of God because they're constantly going to God in this manner. What should we do? There's been so many messages spoken to these people. They've seen that, but the Holy Spirit makes the truth real. It makes the story of Jesus real. It brings it to life. Peter preached this. He said, you've done wrong by God, and you need to be right with God. And they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit pierces. And it's not my words that do it. It's always the words of the Bible in this. And it cuts to the heart. Nothing else in this world can. You can get your Tony Robbins and they can inspire you to do some great thing. But nothing changes the human heart. The Holy Spirit is an agent of transformation. He's an agent of grace. But he's an agent like a doctor that cuts in with a scalpel to your heart. And this is exactly what he did with me. I was... I was a bad thief. I was hard of heart. I was proud. I grew up in a Christian household. I'd heard it all before. And it took a moment of the Holy Spirit to cut through in this moment like this to be like, you need Jesus. In your own works, by your own efforts, you've fallen so far short. The Holy Spirit says to me and says to all of us, you've done wrong by God, but you can be made right with just one moment. It's the beauty of the gospel and I just wonder in this place today if there's anyone that that resonates with. I wonder if there's anyone here that needs to be made with, right with God this morning. The Holy Spirit is drawing to that moment. Just have that same moment as these people did. Let me just pray in this moment. God, can we close our eyes and bow our heads? God, right now in this moment, if you need to make it real to anybody in this room, 
that they're not right with God, but with just one moment, one decision, they can be. Holy Spirit, can you make it real in their hearts right now? If they haven't experienced that regeneration of your spirit, that renewal of who you are, can you just illuminate to their hearts right now? While all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that is you today and you need to make that decision to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, to, to follow Jesus with all of your life, not lukewarm, not half-hearted, not a subscription, but a life on life. If you need to make that decision today, I just want you to raise your hand. Here in Acts 2, Peter is filled with the Spirit. He's baptised in the Holy Spirit. He preaches, he speaks in tongues. 3,000 people are saved That's what being filled with the Spirit can do. But then, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. And here in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. He's talking to the people who arrested him. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, but I thought he already was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says he is filled again and speaks. Then Peter and John go back to the disciples. And in verse 31 of of chapter 4, it says this. When they prayed, The place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God. These are the same people that had already been filled before and they're filled again with the Holy Spirit. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit, again, is not like some new outpouring that God's like, oh, forgot to give him something from heaven. It's like these deep wells within us that rise again and overflow and overflow. And soon we're going to sing that wells song again because... Some people in this place need to be refilled. That was three times for Peter. One spirit, but multiple infillings and refillings. And Peter needed to be filled by the spirit to reach these group of people who were Pharisees and Gentiles and 3,000 got saved. And then he needed to be filled with the spirit to reach his captors with the good news. And then he needed to be filled with the spirit again when they were praying and shaking the very foundations of the building. We need to be filled with the Spirit to break down these walls in our lives that have been there for a while. You need to be filled with the Spirit to confess to your colleagues that you are a Christian, even though that doesn't elevate you up the popularity totem pole. And I felt in preparing this to just have this moment to speak to the men because a lot of the men that I talk to, and look, unless it's different on the north side (laughs) in the promised land, a a lot of the men and the husbands that I talk to When I ask them how many pray with their spouse, it's probably one in 10, not even. Or I ask how many teach their kids the Word of God at home and it's even less. And sometimes we've decentralised our faith that the church should do that, but we are charged by the Holy Spirit to be prophets and priests and kings of our household. Men, we are the spiritual leaders of our household. And you need to be filled with the Spirit again to break down these walls in your household because the first time you pray to your spouse, super awkward. It's weird. And you don't want to do it again or maybe it's weird to start. And and some of these day-to-day things, they're a grace for something new and they require being refilled with the Holy Spirit to break it down. The Bible charges us men to wash your wives with the Word of God. Are you washing your family with the Word of God or is it an occasional sprinkle or shower? Are are your kids learning from you? Do you open the Word of God and can you teach your kids from it? And this isn't just for families, but I just wanted to do that in this moment because if we can put faith back in the families and households, we win. We win. We don't lose from the outside. We lose if we lose it from the inside. 
And some men might need to be refilled by the Spirit of God to break down some walls in their family. Some people need to be refreshed this morning. Some people need to be filled again by the Spirit with clarity for direction. Some people are, are filled with an anger. And you don't know why it is, but you need to be refilled by the Spirit of God for that peace and patience to come back into your life. Some marriages might need to be filled again by the Spirit of God to go the distance. Some people need boldness like Peter did to preach the Word, to be evangelists, to do that big dream that God has poured in your heart. But it, it takes a waiting. The upper room is waiting for God to go for God. A devoted kind of waiting, a spiritual lingering and an unrushed patience. It's not passive. You don't fall into it. It's not the path of least resistance. It's this waiting that requires a conviction, an active getting up and waiting and looking. Holy Spirit, I'm here for this one reason. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's 10 days, but I'm waiting for your word. We need to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill and refill us for power in our lives and and so we're going to worship again just as we finish this morning. You guys can stand to your feet. We're going to worship. We're going to sing this wells, this outpouring.